0: Good morning everyone, evening, afternoon, wherever you are in the world. This is episode 27 of Cinema and I thought I'd just jump right into this because as I record this, uh, The Rise of Skywalker is releasing and it seems like the internet just couldn't wait to start trashing this motion picture and and just getting out all of its piss and vinegar uh, to uh, now suddenly flip out on on what J.J. Abrams has delivered. And and we'll get into all of that. Again, cinema is not film reviews. We're looking at the cynicism uh, that is behind the entertainment industry and its effects on it. And uh, Rise of Skywalker and and the advanced hatred and nastiness that, that has just come forward before the movie even just even gets a chance to get its legs and get out there. Is, is just stupendous because, again, it comes back to something which is the focus of episode 27 today, and that is uh, fandom. And this growing—it it continues to grow. It's been around a while, but this growing belief that that fans own a chunk of something, uh, whether it's sports, uh, whether it's film, or, or even music and, and celebrities, um, there is this delusion that fans believe that if it wasn't for them— This wouldn't exist. You know the word fan comes from fanatic, which implies mental instability. It's really not a great thing to be a a zealous, overzealous fan. And we're going to get into that. But I also have a disclaimer here because I will be talking about sports as well too. And even though I'm a movie guy, uh, I'm sure that the the number one uh, complaint or criticism that can be thrown back to me is, is the fact that, well, you know, you don't play sports, so, you know, you're just an angry, frustrated athlete, you know, you, you can't play sports, so you're jealous. No, that's not it. And I, I want to start by stating something here that um, from being a history scholar, as well as a filmmaker, uh, I have seen where sports and athletics will do more to unite a country than anything else, especially any politician. And I, I actually saw this in play and uh, when I was visiting Ecuador, and I forget which island we were on, uh, Ecuador at that time was uh, in soccer uh, uh, fighting for the World Cup. They were, they were like right up there in the finals. And we were on this island, and uh, it was, I think, maybe there might be 1,300, 1,400 people who live on this island uh, year-round, not tourists. And it was nighttime and we were out by the beach uh, with a drink and apparently Ecuador scored a goal in the game. And and I'm telling you folks, it sounded like the entire island roared in in appreciation and and just excitement. And that told me something, that everybody on this island was tuned in to that game and, and finding reception and everything. Look, you had no cell phone service out there. Uh, it's, you know, dead in the middle of the Atlantic. And yet they they found a way to, you know, to get cable or satellite, whatever it was, uh, to, to that island. And it united these people. And I've seen what sports can do for self-esteem, uh, for, for personal growth, emotional growth, socialization. So by no means, I guess I have to use this disclaimer, by no means am I uh, anti-sports or am I... Uh, against athletics. That's patently ridiculous. Uh, No, I I don't enjoy sitting down and watching a football game on TV. I I do like attending one, especially for the atmosphere. But look, I don't like to swim. Uh, I'm scared of the water and and I don't want to drown. But it doesn't stop me from going to the beach and walking the boardwalk and the beach and enjoying the atmosphere. So I'm very keenly aware of what sports and athletics can do. All of these collectively, I I call them entertainment and and they allow people a sense of belonging and identity and sharing. And and all of this, this entertainment, whether again, it's sports, music, art, movies, whatever it is, it can represent the best of us as a species. All can inspire, all can amaze and it can make us better people and make us better in general. But notice I left out any reference to the word ownership. Now, grammar Nazis love to focus on the improper use of your with, with an apostrophe and your as in your stuff versus your coming with me. And there and there, you know, the difference between those. And, and I suggest they look at the misuse of certain pronouns. And I'm not talking about gender pronouns and all of that stuff. So please don't go down that road. We're, we're talking specifically in entertainment here. Fans of any medium don't seem to understand us and them or we and they. They just don't seem to get it. So I'm going to use sports as an example. Remember when the Eagles won Super Bowl 52? Uh, The players, the coach, uh, the staff, you know, they, they all worked on a daily basis to make the machine run. They won the Super Bowl. You as the fan, I hate to break it to you. You did not. You listening to this, if you were an Eagles fan, you saw the game, you may have paid for the game, you may have Eagles merchandise out the ass, but you did not help to win Super Bowl 52. I'm always amazed when I see on social media, somebody with a post, like even on Facebook, it's just like a a solid colored background with big white words that say, we did it. To see we did it type posts online is, is another example of a spectator world that, that confuses viewing with doing. To be proud of the victory because you're from Philly or Pennsylvania or or just as a sports fan is, is part of the fun in the community. To destroy, disparage, and embrace poor sportsmanship is all wrong. To be, and I'm putting this in quotes, pissed to the point of not talking to someone's friends your family, your spouse, whatever, because your team lost is fucking stupid. I have a friend who was an assistant coach for the Philadelphia Eagles for some time. And I asked him one night, I, I said, Bill, I said, I gotta ask you, you know, why do fans destroy shit? Like when, whether they win, whether their team wins or they lose, what possesses someone to go out and destroy public property, whether it's smashing cars or, or storefronts or, or whatever, or beating the shit out of someone where you send them to the hospital because, all right, look, I'm not saying someone was smart enough to go stand in the opposite team wearing uh, the opposite colors of, of, you know, the rival team. I'm not saying that was smart and you could argue, well, you know, that jackass, ass asked for it. It's just a fucking team. It's just a game. Just like when people say, you know, it's just a movie. It's just a game. Isn't that what we were supposed to teach our kids? Right? And then then it all goes bad. So when you see these awful little league games and and all of that or basketball games on the school level, well, no wonder the kids are assholes because nine times out of 10, their parents are assholes. But I don't want to get off too far from that. I I also want to give another example of this. I remember one time while my mother was still alive, I, I gave a call home. Uh, just checking in. I think it was a Sunday afternoon or something like that. Just doing my Sunday check-in. And I was talking to my mom and she said, oh, you know, your, your dad isn't in a good mood. And she met my stepfather and he is my dad. And I said, what do you mean dad's not in a good mood? Because he he's always a very, uh, very mellow guy. For him to not be in a good mood, there has to be something wrong. And she said, well, the Giants lost today. And I was like, his football team lost and, and he, that put him in a bad mood. She said, yeah, it's put him in a funk for the rest of the day. So I said, put him on the phone. So my dad, who is a real, when he talks, it's kind of like this, everything's mellow. I, we used to joke that his whole side of the family, you could, you know, chop off an arm and be like, well, I guess I'll just wrap it up and it'll stop bleeding sometime. Like that's how mellow they are. I said, dad, I said, What what are you doing being pissed off because a football team lost? Well, it just upsets me. So I said, Dad, did, did you have some money on the game? Well, no, I mean you don't own the team, so you' you know your stock in the team hasn't gone down. Well, no, I mean, you, you don't you don't know anybody personally that's playing that you feel badly for because you know they're they, they didn't win and, and you feel badly for them because you know how hard they worked. And again, the answer was, well, no. So my question is, so what the fuck you all pissed off about? Why is this shitting all over your day so your football team didn't win? You lost no money. You have no personal stake in this whatsoever. You have no financial stake. What the hell's wrong with you? And that kind of goes over to, for a while there was, and maybe it's still going on, this fad of, of posting children crying and having meltdowns over sports teams or or players failing expectations, which in my opinion, is is nothing short of child abuse. I, I really do believe that. Uh, Who? Yeah. Who? my buddy. And Louis, what's happened? Why have you not got him anymore? What happened? He's gonna be so <laughs> He's gonna be so yeah. Oh no. It's <laughs> so okay. I can't. <laughs> Keep going A fanatical devotion to anything is really unhealthy, folks. Enjoy the game. Enjoy the movie. Enjoy each other and and the camaraderie it brings. To riot and burn and vandalize and threaten others or physically harm others is just fucking ridiculous. And the antithesis of what a love of sports is to engender If you think I'm out of line, observe your average little league game, like I said, with a focus on the parents and and you're going to see what I mean. And it's not just sports. The show Toddlers and Tiaras also shows what happens when fanaticism and, and failed dreams replace common sense and good parenting. You remember that show? Let's look back at some of these, you know, videos of, of kids strapped in their, their kid chairs and cars and they, they've been given the news that somebody is not gone to the Super Bowl or this player was traded. And these kids are like maybe three or four years old and they're crying hysterically. I'm telling you, that's child abuse. The Panthers said, the Panthers said that they didn't even want him on the team anymore. So they fired him. Why did they fire him, daddy? Because they said he was too old to play. Was he too old. I don't know. But now, so now we 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 won't have Steve Smith. We can't cheer for Steve Smith anymore on the team. <laughs> so now we have to cheer for Cam Newton, my favorite. Uh, Who are we going to cheer for on Sundays now? No what? Ken Cam Newton. We can't forget Cam Newton. a You don't even want to watch him anymore. I hate
1: the Panthers. We should probably pick what? a new
0: favorite team. And what about Cam Newton? I love yeah, Cam Newton. I love Cam Newton and Luke Kuechly. So you're gonna cheer for them now? Yeah. Are you still gonna love the Panthers? Yes. Gavin, you still gonna love the Panthers even I though they? I don't like anybody. Because they fired Steve Smith. No child at three or four already has in them a deep, passionate love of sports or anything unless they've been indoctrinated by the parent and that they've been forced into this world. That is no different than religious fanaticism. To have a child and then videotape this child having this fucking meltdown and put it up on YouTube for video likes and and comments, you're an idiot. You are torturing, mentally torturing this child who let's face it, by three or four years old, They're just learning to speak. How the fuck do they know about a quarterback or or any type of team making the Super Bowl? Do they even really know what the Super Bowl is? And most of all, do they even know how to play the game? Whatever they know has been instilled by fanatical parents. And again, if you don't believe me, go to a Little League game or any type of middle school or hell, any type of public high school, middle school, elementary game. You'll see what I mean. So, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker officially opens today. I mean, I know it's opened other places and it had its premiere and all that. And it took zero time in this internet world uh, for the hatred just to start going around. Now, I have not seen the film as of yet. I'm planning on catching a matinee of it tomorrow. And I hope it's an empty theater and I can just sit and enjoy this thing. I, I really don't want to be sitting around with a bunch of, uh, you know, Kylo Wrens. And fucking rays and all that stuff sitting in the audience with me. I just want to go and enjoy the movie. When, when a favorite film wins, whether I don't care what it is, you know, we're talking an Oscar, the highest award that there is. Do you see film fans out there proclaiming, we did it. We won. I sure as hell hope not. Look, Jaws is my favorite movie of all time. But that doesn't give me ownership of it. I had nothing to do with its production. I had nothing to do with its marketing or its success whatsoever. I didn't write it. I didn't contribute to one damn thing. And it doesn't matter how many Jaws conventions you go to. It doesn't matter how many autographs you paid for, how many photographs you get with Jeffrey Kramer. It doesn't fucking matter. You don't own the movie. This whole podcast was, was inspired by, by Jaws the Revenge. And my hatred for Jaws the Revenge. But look, I've said this before online and on Twitter. Hating, and I use that word in quotes, hating is my shtick for Jaws the Revenge. In the end, it's just a shitty movie and my life has not been changed for the better or the worse by it. Yeah, I'm disappointed that I I didn't like it and, and that it it, it really brought shame upon the Jaws franchise and, and a franchise that never should have been a franchise. And I do remember seeing Jaws 3D when I was 15 and walking out pissed off because of how bad it was and how cheesy it was. But I was 15 and I get it now. And in fact, I did a podcast on Jaws 3, which actually I think I'm pretty kind to the movie. But at 15, yeah, I was pissed off. But I wasn't about to go out and launch a campaign against Universal Studios or Carl Gottlieb or anybody associated with it to get a boycott, to demand a do-over, uh, remake it, and, and start attacking the people that were in it. Look, Dennis Quaid, Bess Armstrong, Louis Gossa Jr., who just won an Oscar. Look, they made a bad movie. You move on. And that's why, like you just saw recently with all these actresses, Elizabeth Banks, and Kristen Stewart, they're all taken to the media to almost apologize for Charlie's Angels. Look, ladies, it didn't work. You made the movie. You hoped it did well. It didn't. You move on. That's it. No one's nailing anybody to a fucking cross here because you made a bad movie or a movie that wasn't successful. I haven't seen Charlie's Angels. I probably won't see Charlie's Angels, But I don't know if it's good or bad. The point is, you made an unsuccessful film and so has everyone else. And it's not going to change things. With all the shit that is happening in the world right now that we really should be focusing our attention on, we're not. And we're focusing on whether the rise of Skywalker is a satisfying conclusion to the Skywalker saga, and people are out there ready to drag Kathleen Kennedy or J.J. Abrams, or continuing to drag Ryan Johnson through the mud for what they offered them or what they're doing to their franchise. And that is the whole point of this podcast. Look, a a film fan has no more ownership of a movie than a sports fan. You bought your ticket, the DVD, the product, and and a service was provided, whether, I don't care how much merchandise you got, I don't care how fucking long you stood in line for an autograph, I don't care. That's the transaction. Buying a film ticket does not give ownership over a movie or the right to have any kind of say in its production or distribution. You have every right to express your feelings. You have every right to be upset, to like, or not like but you do not own any aspect of the motion picture. Movie fans have zero ownership or entitlement over celebrities or the studios as well. You bought an autograph at a convention? Well, good for you. It doesn't give you carte blanche to say whatever you feel to a celebrity at their table. I remember standing there one time at a horror convention with one of my stars of one of my films and somebody dropped $100 on merchandise at her table. And you know what this asshole said? This asshole looked at her and said, you know, you're actually a lot more attractive in your photos than you are in real life. And I couldn't believe that some dipshit said this. What gives you the right because you spent $100 to buy some photographs that have some ink in her handwriting on it? That gives you the right to speak that way. While you may have the right to freedom of speech, you also have the responsibility to speak wisely. Your patronage does not give you ownership. Life is not a giant crowd funder that offers you some producer title as a perk. So when did this start? Could the roots be around the time of of the original 1960s Star Trek TV series with with fan petitions to renew the series that, that led to the eventual feature film? I mean, granted, Star Wars was as much an impetus for Star Trek as fan demand, but did studios start to give too much power then to the fans? Only days after the release of The Last Jedi, if you remember that two years ago, there was a call by, and I put fans in quotes, to repeal the film for what comes down to upset fanboys. And you know what? Yes, you are the fans. And, and look, as a horror filmmaker, I'm happy for my fans. I really am. What I'm not happy about is when people think they know more about filmmaking than I do, who have never picked up a camera. If it's a professional who comes to me, who has made some films, because that's what I reply back to a lot of the the people, whether they like the fields or death house or or not. Um, My response a lot of the times is I really look forward to seeing your movie because the answer is they don't have a fucking movie. It's no different than the big fat piece of shit sitting up in the stands at a sports event, screaming down at the athlete, telling them what they should be doing. My answer is get down there, fatty. And if you don't have a heart attack by, you know, the time you reach the 20 yard line, good luck for you. You go out there and do it. And then when you do confront these kind of people, well, I really didn't, I really didn't mean it that way. All I was saying was, no, what you were saying was you're a jackass. Where did the delusion begin? to demand a major studio to bend to hurt feelings and disappointed expectations or resentments. And I I know what I sound like. I I better go chase some kids off my lawn. That's what I sound like. Look, I sat all the way through Game of Thrones from from the very first episode to the end. And yeah, yeah, the the last couple episodes of that season left a lot to be desired. And, And we won't even get into the Starbucks or water bottle fiascos that go along with it. Uh, it, it just comes down to the fact that, yeah, all right, they, they dropped the ball. There's no doubt about it. The, the screenwriting left uh, a lot to be desired, and, and, and those guys, you know, they, they moved on. But hell, I mean, you provided, what, almost eight, eight seasons of this? I mean, that's a lot. That's a lot to go through and, and to keep a level of quality. I mean, it all can't be like Breaking Bad. I mean, I remember with Breaking Bad, the worst episode out of Breaking Bad, I can describe it as good. That's the worst I can say about Breaking Bad, that its worst episode was good. So that tells you something. But as fans, people out there have begun to have this high level of expectation that, that they can never be disappointed, that that these people are, are working for them. And because they buy the DVDs or they stream it or they pay the VOD and, and hell, most of you people probably bitching pirate these things whether it's tv shows or movies and you torn it and you don't pay a goddamn dime for it anyway that's what i said to one guy who criticized death house when he said that he downloaded it and it wasn't available for download yet it's like you stole my movie asshole, and now you have the temerity to turn around and complain about it Fuck you the fanboys engaged in in a gigantic campaign to get The Last Jedi remade. And it looks like it's going to happen again now with The Rise of Skywalker. I mean, I don't know. I, I've already seen some effort at boycotting. Uh, I've, I've seen all that. I haven't heard for a do-over yet. But but let's look at The the Last Jedi because that seems to be the absolute most unpopular one out of the new sequels. And and look, we can get into all of that. I I can't say I was overly impressed. I haven't seen R- Rise of Skywalker yet so I'll weigh in on that then but I can't really say I've been overly impressed with with the way the sequels have come out and I don't care what anybody says I really enjoyed Rogue One and I think to date that's the best of of any of the new Star Wars films I mean The Force Awakens let's let's face it The Force Awakens was just basically Star Wars light and and it was a remake of Star Wars episode 4 and it was a deliberate return to familiarity and familiar territory Because of the taste that the prequels left in our mouths. Now I'm seeing people after this rise of Skywalker flap. Now I'm seeing people going, oh my God, compared to these sequels, the prequels were better. At least George Lucas expanded the universe. You know what? The same people were bitching about the prequels then. And now they've turned about face and now they're praising the prequels and attacking the sequels. This is craziness. So let's look back at *The Last Jedi*, which again I was—I can't really say I really enjoyed all that much. I thought it was overly long, and and the fact that it opens up with a Howard Stern-type prank call, a "your mama" joke. I mean, come on! It, it to me, and then don't even get me started with Princess Leia flying through space like Supergirl or Mary Poppins. It, it it left a lot to be desired in in the entire uh, you know diatribe going off. Uh, the diversion going off to that casino planet, and and the uh, political agenda, and the environmental agendas, and and the sexual agendas—it it really was a lot. And and although I can understand what Ryan Johnson is saying about you know subverting fan expectation and going out there and and making something that isn't just pandering to fans—that I respect—but I can't really say that he achieved that goal a hundred percent with the Last Jedi. If you're going to do something then don't do all of that that's laden down with ridiculous plot holes, stupid subplots, and and really social agendas. But that's my take. And you know what? I didn't call for any boycott, and I didn't call for Ryan Johnson to be called Ruin Johnson or anything like that. He did his spin on the movie. It didn't really resonate with a lot of people, and we move on. I want to look back at something that that maybe people forgot and that was when uh, Black Panther came out. Let's move away from Star Wars for a moment and look at Black Panther. And and remember they they had a petition for last Jedi and all of that. So is this a DC Marvel issue with Black Panther? Because, you know, Black Panther was was largely an all black film and so was it a race issue? If you go back, take a look at what people were trying to do to flood Black Panther with negative reviews and and alter its Rotten Tomatoes score. There was a planned offensive against Black Panther to flood the review aggregator page, Rotten Tomatoes, with negative reviews. That is a fact. The goal was to create an aura of failure for the film and impact its ticket sales. This supposedly came from the the desire for revenge for the low scores, the DC films, and, and I'm looking at you, Batman versus Superman and Justice League, that they got. This is nuts, folks. These are movies. And now, thanks to the internet and digital manipulation, people are out there actually trying to affect the livelihood of these films. So those fans see their effort as an answer to perceived review rigging for The Last Jedi, which which came from Disney and Marvel as well. So it looks like there might be a DC Marvel thing going on here. Those fans insisted there was a major discrepancy against the high review number for Jedi versus the audience score, which at that time was half. All of this seems to point toward a perceived bias toward Disney, Marvel, and, and against the DC universe. And, and right now, Disney is completely under fire for its handling of not only just Last Jedi, and, and when the stars just recently for The Rise of Skywalker came out kind of talking about distancing themselves from Last Jedi, and then, of course, attacking Kathleen Kennedy, and now J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson for, I, I, I wish I had a dollar for every time I read Star Wars is Dead that Disney killed Star Wars. Well, again, I don't know if that's necessarily true. There are a lot of unhappy people out there. As a filmgoer who saw the original trilogy and every single Star Wars film in theaters, I I would have to say that, no, I, I can't say that these new sequels really wowed me. But again, I'm not about ready to torch something or go after some of the actors online and harass them so they leave social media. I'm not about to do that. And just for the record, it's kind of like what I said about Ghostbusters 2016 and and the original Ghostbusters films. You know, people forgot what a shitty film Ghostbusters 2 was. And and Ghostbusters 2 was was one of the major reasons why Bill Murray would not return for a third film and that we had to wait now until 2020 to get a new Ghostbusters film. But I've already talked about that in my uh, episode eight, I believe, on, on my cinema podcast. Um, however, go back and and really think about this folks and look at return of the Jedi return of the Jedi is no classic. Harrison Ford is walking through that film. Totally bored. That guy just wanted to do this role. It was contractual obligation and get the fuck out of there. We have the stupid Ewoks. You mean to tell me that the Empire can be vanquished by a bunch of of fuzzy teddy bears fighting jungle warfare? That's all it took on Endor, right? And we have a really bad slapstick comedy, really bad dialogue. And yes, we do get, you know, a a great ending between the Emperor and, and Luke and Vader and all of that stuff. But we had to sit through a lot of nonsense, including Chewie swinging on a vine, letting out the Tarzan yell. How does the fucking Tarzan yell fit into the Star Wars universe? Please somebody answer that. And the worst part is there's some fan out there going, oh, I can answer that. I can tell you exactly how that fit in. Shut up. No, it's stupid. It was bad comedy. It was badly put together. And, you know, Return of the Jedi really kind of showed us of things to come. So when those prequels came, you know, it really wasn't much of a surprise. It wasn't a far jump. It took 20 years, but it really wasn't a far jump to see where where things were going. So all these people wigging out over Rise of Skywalker like they did with Last Jedi, it kind of brings to mind that William Shatner episode on Saturday Night Live where he played Captain Kirk or, you know, he was at a Star Trek convention and he addressed all those, all those fans that were out there in the audience. And he said, get a life, will you people for crying out loud? It's, it's just a TV show. Look at how you're dressed. You've turned a job I did as a lark into a colossal waste of time. I mean, how old are you people? What have you done with yourselves? And then he pointed at John Lovitz with some Vulcan headgear on. And he said, you, you're almost 30. Have you ever kissed a girl? I can't say that Last Jedi was my favorite of the Star Wars films. I mean, again, it ran too long. It pandered to the political correctness that I spoke of. And and man, that laugh out loud, silly Supergirl Mary Poppins moment where, where Carrie Fisher flies through space. I mean, we could go on forever. The the totally useless casino subplot for the benefit of justifying Benicio Del Toro's cameo. And, and I could go on about its pacing, the, the useless script points and so forth. But... I paid to see it and that's it. Moving on. You, you either like a film or you don't. I mean, if you go into, look, I I remember the first time I saw Starry Night by Van Gogh and I looked at it and it was so small. I mean, the movies and stuff, when you see it on TV and such, it it looks big. Do, do I start a protest against it saying that it, it didn't meet my expectations and I want to boycott the museum that is hosting it and and I want to put a boycott on Van Gogh for false advertising. I mean, I I don't know what to say. It's, It's a very similar thing. I saw the film. It didn't really connect with me. You move on. I feel that the three prequels did some damage to the Star Wars series and Yet I didn't protest and, and I did not demand that they'd be stricken from Canon. I mean, it's it's buyer beware. It's no different than, I, I used to tell this story all the time. Like, I remember the first time that I felt ripped off as a consumer as a kid. And, and again, I was like around 15. So it was around the same time as I saw Jaws 3D. Do you guys, if you're old enough to remember when they released Pac-Man for the Atari 2600? And, and I remember thinking, look, I wasn't really a video gamer. I played Pac-Man in the arcade and and I knew the impact that it had. And I grew up with the start of, of the Atari boom and, and the big arcade boom. So saw a lot of these games, you know, rise up and, and become popular. My point is my, my younger brother, however, was a huge video gamer. And at 15, you're now putting your money away for a car. And I was dating a lot and... I'm not sitting around playing video games. I mean, they were fun to play once in a while, but it just wasn't really my thing. But my younger brother begged me, please, would you go in with me to buy a cartridge of Pac-Man for the Atari 2600? It's going to look great. It's going to be fantastic, yada, yada, yada. And back then that cartridge went for about 60 bucks. And in 1982, that's a lot of money. And uh, so I gave him 30 bucks toward this cartridge under that pretext of, well, half of it's mine. Like, like how do you fucking divide up a a video arcade game? I I helped him out and we went in together and I remember we walked five miles to the mall to put the money down for this Pac-Man cartridge at Listening Booth, if you remember Listening Booth. And, you know, when the cartridge came, we walked another five miles back up. We walked, you know, up and back five miles one way, you know, uh, in hill, uphill, you know, in snow, uphill, both ways, whatever. The point is, when we got the cartridge, a bunch of kids were waiting at home. We were the first kids in the neighborhood to get this cartridge and $30 of that money was mine. And we popped it into the Atari arcade system. And when that screen came up, it was like, what? What? We thought it was a mistake. We actually hit reset and it came up again looking the way that it did. And if you remember the Atari 2600 Pac-Man, you understand what I'm talking about. It looked nothing like the arcade. And we even turned the system off, restarted it, put the cartridge in, and it still looked like shit. And that's when you realize wow, they, they didn't really show any screenshots of it on TV for the advertisements. And, and as far as I remember, there were no screenshots even on the back of the box. So you had no idea what you were getting. You had a preconceived notion in your head that it was going to look like the arcade system. And it does not. And if you don't believe me, Google or, or go on YouTube, look at uh, the gameplay for the actual arcade Pac-Man from Nintendo. And then look at the Atari one, and you'll see what I mean. I still say, despite E.T. getting the reputation of causing the video game crash of, of the early 80s, I'm going to say it was Pac-Man that led the way. Uh, Pac-Man deserved far more uh, negative publicity than, than the E.T. game, but I digress. So, you know, talking about that age of 15, like I said, as, as a boy, I, I felt ripped off as a movie go after seeing jaws 3d and and a few years later as as everybody knows i saw jaws the revenge and and jaws the revenge only showed things could get worse as sad as it is that these two films are considered to be part of the jaws universe and and really the answer is very simple and that is you just ignore them they just didn't count it's a shame but that's how it is. I'm I'm not burning things down. I'm not demanding a redo. I'm not calling the director names. I'm, I'm not doing any of that. And we're seeing something very similar as as you know, as Blumhouse, you know, erased the, the history of the shoddy sequels to, to Halloween, and they skipped Halloween too, as I talked about in my previous podcast in episode 26. However, there are fans of, of some of those sequels and, and they, that will not curb them from enjoying the film of their choice. You can't erase what you like, folks. And, and you can't redo everything just because you don't like something. You know, I, I hate to say it, but you know, life doesn't work that way. Sometimes some shitty things happen to you in your life and you don't get the chance to redo them. I mean, let's go back for a moment to, to Black Panther, which it, its hype and everything when it was released was in, in full throttle. And, and part of that hype was that it's first made, it was the first major feature film to feature a black superhero. It is if you don't count Blade or Spawn, Hancock, Meteor Man, Blank Man, Steel, or arguably even Catwoman. Before, and I'm talking the Holly Berry Catwoman. And, and, and before the comments start flying, yes, most of these films are hardly the quality of what Black Panther is. I get that. Their cultural impact is minimal, and, and no one is calling Catwoman or, or Spawn classics. So let's look at the fan point of view for a moment in, in one regard, and that's, that's seeing the importance of sites like Rotten Tomatoes. If scores can be so easily manipulated, then, then why is there a need for such a thing? Why do we have Rotten Tomatoes? Shouldn't it be like it once was and have people allowed to make up their own goddamn minds? What good is a review site if its own creators can slant the results or anyone can just manipulate with their own agendas? How does this reflect an accurate assessment of the product? I mean, I've discussed this before in, in previous episodes and it's even on my blog. With so many people screaming about manipulation in the electoral process, why is it acceptable to manipulate the film review process? In other words, aggregate sites mean nothing and should not carry the weight that they do. It's, it's kind of lazy in my opinion. Why, why do you need to go to one site where 20 people wait in and five or six are top critics and, and they're going to tell you what's good? Oh, I don't really have to take the effort to go see the movie and make up my own fucking mind. The same goes for IMDb comments and reviews, like the same as Amazon comments. They're mostly uninformed knee-jerk reactions by people displacing their anger outrage or ignorance die-hard fans can flood rotten tomatoes with positive or negative comments just to do it i look at my own film death house i mean the, the film was not a monster mashup freddy vs. jason style film that a lot of fans wanted just go give it a shitty score in the aggregate sites give it a shitty imdb rating do, wherever you post your comments that's what people do don't consider that I took a different turn with Death House and I tried for something higher to transcend our, our lower budget. And, and don't look at the respect it has for the genre or, or the quality for which it was made. No, don't do that at all. It wasn't like Freddy versus Jason. It wasn't The Expendables of Horror. Well, fuck you, Harrison. You know, you, you, know, you say all these things. It was just lazy filmmaking. It's derivative. Whatever. Again, my answer is, where's your film? I look forward to seeing it. For me, someone who does have a true vestment in Death House, I did direct the movie. I wrote the movie. We means the cast and crew and everyone involved in the making of that motion picture. We hope they, the audience, enjoy it. The movie was made for them to enjoy. However, what does that mean to you? Look, what it all comes down to is, is, is perspective. We love things. We don't like things. And the Internet has accentuated or given some kind of microscope to the, the absolute inconsequential. Uh, whether a movie is good or bad is, is one thing. And, and you take that in stride, whether your team wins or loses is another. And, and you take it in stride. And unless we have some kind of deep personal vestment, our priorities are, are really misplaced. If we again focused on the things that really mattered, we could fix so much in this world with all the stuff that is happening around us and, and the way that it really does look like without sounding like a conspiracy nut. It sounds like you know, the elite and and the powerful are not just getting away with shit. They're doing it right in front of us. And we are so distracted by the minutiae and the silliness of of entertainment and and digging our heels in on things that, on stuff that just really in the end don't matter. It's okay to love something. It's great to have passion for something, but there are limits. And that's where it crosses over into what I call toxic fandom and, and what a lot of people call toxic fandom. Try to avoid that. If you like something, great. And if you don't, great. And you're fully allowed to express your opinion on it. But really sit back before you go to the boycott cancel mode. Think about priorities in your life and what really matter. I hope this podcast made some sense. This is Harrison Smith. And again, I thank you for your time to listen and have a great week. Head on over to iTunes and give me a like and review. And if you want to read my cinema blog, you'll find it at horrorfuel.com forward slash author forward slash Harrison.